I mean, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Harvest. My name is Trey. Um, it is a privilege. Uh, I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, and I just want to say welcome. It's good to see you all. Uh, if I haven't met you, really quick, um, right on the other side of those curtains uh, is a guest services table, and I'd love to meet you after the service. And um, today's a special Sunday. Um, today is Baptism Sunday in the life of our church, and I'm really excited for today. Um, we've been in a collection of talks called The Good Life, uh, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at these different letters written to these seven different churches in Revelation. Um, but with today being a unique Sunday, thank you, Jeremy. Um, with today being a unique Sunday, um, we're still going with this theme, but we're no longer going to look at a letter this week. We're going to look at something a little bit different. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask a question. How many of you have eaten fast food in the past two months? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have eaten at a five-star restaurant where the, it's about $100 a person in the past two months? Okay, maybe one or two hands. There is a significant drop between the fast food, right, and the five-star restaurant, $100 a person, right? There's a significant difference. Um, I, me and my wife, I think the last time we went to a really fancy, by the way, the only time we go to really fancy restaurants is if somebody gives us a gift card <laughs> um, to one of those places. Like uh, Roos Chris, I think we've been there twice, um, both on gift cards. Uh, other than that, we can't afford it. Uh, so we typically go when we get gift cards. Um, but here's what I, whenever me and Lauren go to these places, we, uh, there are people that show up and the waiters and waitresses know these people by name. They know their order, which leads me to believe they are frequent customers, which also leads me to believe I need to be their friend, right? But I see these people, and I, I, I see that kind of lifestyle, and after I eat the food, I'm always like, if I could eat like this every day, I would be so happy. But the, the truth of the matter is I just can't afford it, but I wish I could. Now, let me break this down a little bit. Why do people go to the cheap imitation, rather than the real and authentic. Because when you eat at a Roos Chris, you know that that cow, wherever it's from, um, was, you know, was pampered probably more and better than you and I have better, ever been pampered, right? You know that that cow was treated well. When you go to McDonald's, you know you're not eating cow, right? You just know. You don't, you, have you ever, there's a documentary out there, it's like, this is how McDonald's makes their beef, and this is how it makes their chicken nuggets. I'm like, that's disgusting. All of a double quarter pounder with cheese, right? Like, I just don't care to a certain level, right? You know, at 11 p.m. at night, when you're hungry, right, here's what I don't want to do. Let me fire up the grill, throw a couple of things on there, and just like, I want some McDonald's french fries, I want the whatever unique chicken nuggets they have. I want the whatever nuggets. I want the mystery nuggets, right, from McDonald's, right? That's what I want. That's what I crave. I want the French fries that if you don't eat them within the first five minutes, they're disgusting. You know, this isn't even potatoes. I don't know what this is. But when they're hot and salty, they're potatoes, and they're good. So why do we sometimes go with the cheap imitation over the real and authentic. I think a couple of reasons. Number one, let me point out the obvious. Number one, it's cheap, right? We're balling on a budget these days. And uh, we want cheap. We got to go with cheap. 
I think another reason is uh, it's convenient. You don't have to get dressed up. You don't have to go and sit and wait and have a waiter, you know, brush the, the breadcrumbs from your delicious bread roll off of your table. It's, there's no judgment in McDonald's. You show up shoeless and sometimes pantless, nobody blinks an eye, right? It's convenient. You don't even have to get out of your car sometimes. Um, I think it momentarily satisfies cravings, right? That 11 p.m. run to McDonald's, it tastes good. Then an hour later in bed, I'm like, Lauren, please don't ever let me eat McDonald's again. My stomach is hurting. I feel gross. For some reason, I'm sweating, and I don't know why. (laughs) It's the cheap imitation. I think it momentarily satisfies cravings. What are some of the side effects of cheap imitations? What I just said. How about this? It's not real. Therefore, not healthy. It leaves you feeling gross afterwards. Here's another side effect. Love handles. right? Or this, it actually makes you crave more of it. There is so much preservatives and salt in the food that whenever you start to eat it, there's a reason McDonald's fries, you crave them, is because when you get to the last fry, you're like, well, people judge me if I order another thing of fries. It's never like, oh, that was a good amount of fries, I'm done. I judge people if they don't finish their fries, straight up. It leaves you craving more of it, thinking it can lead to a different result. And it can become a place of comfort. Nobody ever says, hey, I'm at a really low moment and I'm going to a salad for comfort food, <laughs> right? Nobody's like, where's the, where's the best Caesar salad? I'm really like depressed. <laughs> In the middle of you needing comfort, it's I really hope the McDonald's ice cream machine isn't broken down because I want an Oreo McFlurry. I'm not hating on McDonald's, right? Chick-fil-A is the same way too, right? It's the Lord's chicken. Actually, it's just really, uh, it's really bad for you still. Oh, it's good, right? Like, amen, you, you're, you're proving my point. It's delicious. Yeah, keep it coming. No, I'm just kidding. It's cheap. It's convenient. It satisfies cravings with a lot of side effects, Right? Right? Why don't we go with the cost sometimes more, the more expensive ones? Well, let's point out the obvious again. It's expensive. It's costly. It breaks the bank sometimes. But that's about the only negative, right? It's just expensive. That's why we don't do it as often as we wish we could. The uh, lobster mac and cheese from Ruth's Chris, glorious. (laughs) Closest thing to heaven on this earth. Why don't I order it a lot? Because it's expensive, (laughs) That little plate of lobster mac and cheese is about as much as it costs to take me, my family, and the whole church to Chick-fil-A sometimes, right? (laughs) What are some of the benefits of going and eating expensive at a costly place? Number one, it's better for you. There's not a whole lot of, if any, preservatives in it. You know what you're eating. There is no disclaimer, not real beef, right? It's real beef. There is no, uh, you know, there's a beef tube at Taco Bell where the taco beef comes from. Some of y'all are like, I'm never eating Taco Bell again. Some of y'all are like, I really don't care. You know, I'm going to go get a Doritos Locos Nachos right after this, you know. It's better for you. It's healthier for you. You know what you are getting. It doesn't destroy your body. And some would say it is worth it. Let me phrase it like this. 
nothing of worth comes without a cost. And if you haven't figured out by now, this morning we're not really going to be talking about food, right? Food is a great uh, relatable illustration, but this morning we're not talking about food. We're going to be talking about something else. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and if you don't have your Bibles, you can swipe there on your phone if you have the Bible app. If you have neither, it'll be on the uh, Sky Bible for your convenience. But in Luke chapter 14, um, Luke was a doctor, the author of the Gospel of Luke. He was a doctor. He was really meticulous about details. In fact, there are a lot of stories in Luke that are not in the other Gospels. A lot of other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, uh, and John, um, even, and even Luke, there's a lot of the same story at least twice, three times, or four times. But in the Gospel of Luke, there's a lot of singular stories where they're not in the other three Gospels. So this guy was committed to details. In fact, if it wasn't for Luke, we would not have the story of the Good Samaritan, the woman who lost her coin, or even in this story, the banquet story. And so uh, Luke really wants to paint this meticulous, detailed picture that Jesus is who he says he is. And in Luke chapter 14, we're going to land in this story. Uh, Jesus has just told these two parables that were kind of, that, that were really against culture at that day and age. They really defied, in fact, it, it riled a lot of people up. They were not happy with these parables. And I'm going to explain these parables at the end. But when Jesus told these parables, people really got upset. They were not happy with Jesus. And so then Jesus continues to heal people and he continues to do miracles. And so he has a lot of these people that are just following him for these deeds and these things. And so Jesus sees this opportunity to have a teaching moment with his, with his followers. Much more than the 12 at this point in his, in his journey. There's, a lot, there's hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, following Jesus town to town. So Jesus has this moment while he's walking. He stops, looks at them, and here's the story. Here's the, here's the teaching moment that he, he gives to his followers. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. He says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to, him, and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all those who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with, uh, whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Right, this is some extreme language that we just read here. Hating my, my family, hating myself, you know, picking up a cross. What is Jesus getting at? Big picture, and then we're going to break it down. The big picture that Jesus is trying to get at in this passage is this. Being a disciple of Jesus is costly. This is the big picture that Jesus is trying to get at. 
that being a disciple of me, of Jesus, is costly. Now, this is not going to be a message where we leave, like, rah, rah, let's charge the gates of hell with water pistols. Like, we have, like, fearless faith. This is a message that tends to thin out a church, and I understand that, but I think it's important, especially important in our world today, that being a disciple of Jesus is costly. What does a disciple mean? Sometimes when we think of this word, we, we, we can't accurately describe it. Well, in this word, in the original Greek in which, or Hebrew in which Jesus was teaching, transferred to Greek, it means this, it's methetes, a learner, a pupil, not just a follower, but a learner and an implementer, right? So you have a teenager who is following you around everywhere they go, and they're always on their phones, not really observing or trying to mimic you. They're just with you wherever you go, right? It's like, oh, I just, this person's beside me, right? <laughs> That's not what a disciple is. A disciple is more of, and it's kind of lost in today's world, but it's an apprentice, it's somebody who is so focused on the master and every little thing they do and they implement it and mimic it in their own personal lives so that one day they could step into that role if need be. And that's what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, there will come a day where I will not be here and I need you, my disciples, to be so invested into what I'm doing, you are willing to mimic and implement the things I say and the things I do. And if you are not willing to do that, then you are no disciple of mine. And let me say this. Our church, our world needs true disciples. Not the cheap imitation stuff. As I like to call spiritual streakers, right? You got the helmet of salvation and that's it. There's nothing else. We need true disciples people who say no matter what the cost i'm in and by the way you are be, you're a disciple of something in some way shape and form we are all disciples of something in some way shape or form the world is trying to disciple you the world's trying to disciple the next generation this generation and the generation above me we are all disciples of something to give you just kind of real world implications like if you watched the grammys last week you know it is in your face and they're trying to get you to follow it and lean into it and learn more about it people are making disciples they're saying look at us look at us do it this is cool this is what we're doing in fact this will cost you but it is worth it when in actuality that has never delivered on its promises only jesus has we are all disciples of something we must be diligent about who and what we trust and who and what we follow. And Jesus is getting at in this passage, if you want an authentic disciple, if you want to be an authentic disciple, not the cheap imitation stuff, it will be costly. And here's the thing, I don't want you to sign up naively and be surprised later when the cost is very high to follow Jesus. Because he wants all of you. In verses 28 through 30, we're not going to go back and read them, but I really, I really want to quickly explain them. Jesus says, if you are not willing to pay the cost, here's what you're like, right? You're this guy who wants to build this castle, and before you start building this castle, you know you don't have the funds to finish it, so, but you go ahead and do it anyways. Pro 
boasting about it, bragging about it, of look what I'm doing, look what I'm building, all the while you know you do not have what it takes to finish this. You're like that guy, you don't have what it takes to actually go through. Or how about this? You're like a king who only has 10,000 soldiers, and the enemy has 20,000 soldiers, and you're like, let's fight it out. That's unwise. You're signing up for something you cannot win. You are naively making a decision. And I want to I warn you, if you sign up to follow Jesus, signing up to follow Jesus is free. It doesn't cost you a thing. It's following Jesus costs you everything. That's the gospel. Jesus made it free and paved a way so that way through his death, burial, and resurrection, the blood that was spilled on the cross, you and I can have a relationship with him and experience salvation. But to make a difference in our world, to be a true disciple of Jesus, which is what God has called you and I to, it actually comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. Trey, what is that cost? How will it cost me? I'm glad you asked. Number one, being a disciple of Jesus will be relationally costly. Being a disciple of Jesus will be relationally costly. Let's look back at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus saying to hate your family with everything you have? Yes, Lauren, I, I'm just kidding. No, that's not what he's saying. Not in the slightest. Here's what he's getting at. Here's the principle. If you were to hire a third-party person to come observe your life, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what decisions you make, and how you go about making decisions, how you lead your home, lead your family, lead your, lead your kids, lead your community, lead your coworkers, whatever, they would come to the conclusion, you love Jesus so much with everything you have that in comparison to how much you love your family, it would almost appear as if you hate them because of how much love and sacrifice and willingness and how, much, how trusting you are to this guy named Jesus. That's what he's getting at. He's like, if you were to do this in comparison to how much you love me, it almost appears as if you disregard them. Trey, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. That's what the text says. I believe God wants me to put my spouse first in everything. No. Seek first the kingdom. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God and then love people. That's discipleship. That's what a true disciple of Jesus does. It's if, if I call you to something that does not fit within the comfort of your family, I am asking you to follow me in faith, knowing that I know what is best. But God, this is going to cost me. I know, and I never said it wouldn't. I know. Now, Scripture does put an emphasis on relationships, but those relationships should never take precedence over our relationship with Jesus. Why? Because if you live your life for the approval of people, you will die by their rejection. And if your main obsession in life is to make everyone happy, then you will never become the person that Jesus has called you to be and maybe even them to be. It is this willingness to be all in on the things of Jesus. It is the willingness to be led by Jesus, not by your kids, by your spouse, your family, or your friends. It will cost you relationally. 
it will. Number two, being a disciple of Jesus will be physically costly. Luke 14, 27, he says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Well, time out. This does not apply to me, right? We don't have crosses today, right? That was just then. That was just then. So, okay, with that in mind, let's, let's break it down to modern, modern language. Let's say it like this. I am willing to face the, the worst this world has to offer so that others can see the best of what heaven has to offer. Knowing that I'll never see what hell has to offer. Let me say that again. I am willing to face the worst that this world has to offer so that others can see the best that heaven has to offer, knowing I'll never see what hell has to offer. You may say, Trey, this is radical Christianity that you're talking about here, right? You know, putting Jesus over my family, putting Jesus over my friends, knowing and accepting that it could come at a physical cost, knowing and accepting that, you know, I may lose status, I may lose this, I may lose my job, I may lose this, I may lose that. That's, that's radical Christianity. No, that's just Christianity. That, that's being a follower of Jesus. And I hate to say, I, I, I love the church and the local church, but the church has become comfortable let these chairs be a reminder as your butt goes numb right now in these couple of minutes that we have left in this service that we are not meant to gather and sit to become comfortable, but we're gathered to sit to become stirred and uncomfortable with how unholy we've been living and how unholy our world is that we have come to the conclusion we've got to get up and go out and make a difference. And it will be physically costly. Oh, it will cost you. It will. I promise you it will. And when you look at verses 28 through 32, building a tower, a wall, a castle, a fortress. When it talks about sending out an army, what is that, what is that language? It's military language. I know a couple of buddies of mine and that they're in the military. Let me tell you, they didn't sign up for luxury. They didn't sign up for the military because they know that they're going to be sleeping in the best hotels, that boot camp is going to be a breeze, that they're going to be eating lobster and brie and all this stuff every single night. They know what they signed up for. They signed up for MREs, which is disgusting, right? They signed up to go wherever the military would send them, wherever their commander-in-chief would send them. They signed up to serve. And so often, the body of Christ, listen, you signed up to follow Jesus because of his free gift of salvation. And amazing, like that is our message that is the hope of the world. But when you sign up to follow Jesus, we cannot negate the rest of Scripture. Right? God's Word says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you shall be saved. And the Spirit comes into your life, it adopts you, it gives you freedom, it gives you power, it gives you victory over all these things. Praise God, hallelujah. But then Jesus looks at his disciples and his followers and says, but how much you love me, you should hate your family in comparison to that. In fact, uh, you're in a war and I need you to serve. And I need you to lay, I need you to, uh, I, I, I need you, you may not, in, in American Christianity, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, you may not die for your faith, but you can die to yourself so that others can see your Savior. Whoa, hold up. I thought I just signed up for the fast pass to heaven. Well, you did, that is given to you, great. 
But then God also recruits, he goes, but if this kingdom is to advance, if this, if this gospel is to go out, I need soldiers. This church is not here today because a bunch of comfortable people were really comfortable just saying, let us get up at 7 a.m. and put up uh, pipes and drape and set out these chairs and do all this stuff and to plant a church in Harmony, St. Cloud, Florida, just because it's easy and it's comfortable. We did it because we know that there are people in this community that don't know Jesus and we're on the front line saying, we plant the flag of God here saying that we take this ground for the kingdom. And because of that today, over 60 people since we've opened our doors, eternities have changed from an eternity in hell to now one day when they die and they have seen the worst this world has to offer, they will never know what hell has to offer. It is costly. It costs something. And so the volunteers that show up every single Sunday who's, who miss getting their kids ready every single morning and leave it up to their spouses at home to bring the kids to church because they're here and they're serving, I just want to take a special moment in this message to just say, thank you. I know what it physically costs. Thank you. I know what it relationally costs. Sometimes there's tension. I know, but it's worth it. And at the end of my life, I, I pray that I was willing to pay the cost so that others may know Jesus. Remember what you signed up for. We're in a fight. Against flesh and blood? No. Against principalities, against evil. Satan genuinely doesn't care that another Starbucks is going in at Aldi's. <laughs> he genuinely doesn't. He's like, you know, Whatever. Satan genuinely cares that another church springs up in the Harmony St. Cloud area. And he will do anything and everything to divide, disrupt, and discourage. It will cost you. And Jesus never said it wouldn't. And the last and final thought is this. Being a disciple of Jesus will be costly. But he is worthy. And we have a promise that he is worth it. Being a disciple of Jesus will be costly, but he is worthy. And we have a promise that it will be worth it. In Luke 14, 33, it says, So therefore, in light of everything we've just talked about, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be by disciple. Oh, that's just, that's figurative, Trey. That, you know, God's word isn't literal. It's, 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 it's um, principle-driven, and I, I don't really agree with that. I think really God wants, you know, I want, God wants this or God wants that. Hmm. What does God's word say? If any of you will not renounce all that he has, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be all my disciple. There is no negotiating with Jesus in defining discipleship. Disciples are either all in or they are not. Now, Jesus may not call you to live in a hut in Africa. He hasn't called me to that, right? He's called others to do that, but he hasn't called me to that. But my role is to be all in wherever God calls me to and to be all in whatever he calls me to do. In Mere Christianity, a book written by C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis writes this. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. 
I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. Not half measures are any good, or no half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself, and my own shall become yours. What is Jesus getting at? So many times we think, you know, God, would you just remove all the evil from the world? Would you remove all the evil from the world? Then here's the truth. God would have to remove you and me. And it happened once. You go back to the flood in Genesis. God wiped out. We say, God, would you wipe out evil? He's already done it. He wiped out humanity in the flood. So what is God getting at here? He's not talking about external. He's talking about internal. There's a reason God's word says, when you come to know Jesus, you are a new creation. Not, I've changed the old. He goes, I have destroyed the old. And I'm wanting to destroy that old and implement the new. What is the new? Just a better version of me? No, it's him. And so God does not want to just dig out a cavity and leave the tooth, which is more prone to another cavity. He goes, give me the whole thing, and I will replace it with me. I don't want to trim a branch that has thorns. I'm going to rip out the tree and put in a new one that is holy and righteous, and that is me. And what God is getting at is in, in your life, let me uproot the hidden sins. Let me uproot totally not just a little bit here and a little bit there of, yes, we'll go from tithing 5% to 7%. Yes, we'll go to serving here to serving there. Yes, we'll go from being like, I'm going to post on Facebook about Jesus every now and then, but not get too serious about it. But at work, I will never bring it up because I don't want people to think I'm weird too. I am all in wherever I am to do what God has called me to do, no matter what it costs, because this is the new me that understands the urgency of the mission of the gospel. And God is not interested in people that is like, here, just take this little bit, just take this little bit. God wants people that are like, here is everything. And when we get to this point of God, you build the tower. God, you send out the armies. And I'm just a soldier in the army. I'm not king. You are king. That's when you know I'm on this journey of discipleship. I mentioned earlier in the message, but I don't want us to forget, there were two parables that Jesus spoke right before he gives this, uh, this sermon. One of them was one of the most controversial sermons to the Jewish and Gentile people. He gave this illustration of a banquet. And at this banquet, this really rich and wealthy man invites all of his friends. And all of his friends have an excuse. Uh, this person, um, my wife just gave birth, my friend's funeral, I gotta go to this funeral. Um, this happened, this happened, this happened. So he goes, fine. He sends a servant to everybody else. And everybody else comes. And then the rich people say, no, but I had an excuse. He goes, you had no excuse. There are no real excuses. But to the highways and the byways, to the people that are less than according to society, bring them in instead. Well, my friend, you can't eat with them. I am, and I invited them. The invitation goes to everybody now. The Jews took it as, well, then God, you're sitting with Gentiles, unclean, unholy people. He goes, and you're right. I am. But what about us? Oh, some of your people are there too, but just not you. So I don't get to enter to the kingdom of heaven even though we know each other? You didn't accept my invitation. You no longer 
have a seat at the banquet. It's too late. So what's the point of this story? The point of this story is our message to the world that the God of the universe, the King of Kings, who has unlimited resources, has extended this invitation to the banquet. This banquet is heaven. It's a relationship with him, and he has sent it out to everybody. And God's word says it is easier for the rich man to pass through through the eye of a needle than it is to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They rejected it. I don't need God. I don't need this. And we're looking at everybody else going, you need it. We sit at the banquet. We sit at the table with Jesus. And we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good like David described in Psalms. But it will cost you something. It will cost you leaving whatever excuse you have. God, I got this going on in my life. I got this going on. I really take things seriously. And he goes, fine. But I'm good. God's given up on you? No, the offer still stands. He's just like, okay. 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 Let me say this. You have until your last breath to make a decision. That this morning may not be the last time the offer is given, but I know, today, I know this. Out of years of ministry, tomorrow's not promised. It's not. The invitation is given. The banquet is here. Salvation is at hand. What does salvation at hand mean? It means Jesus is extending his hand to the lost, the broken, to those who don't know where eternity they will spend. And he's going, take my hand, accept my invitation. It's free. And when you sign up to follow me, you give up everything. The old is gone, and behold, the new has come. And today, we're celebrating an individual who has taken that step. A couple months ago, we did a prayer, or we did a, a series called Harvest at the Movies, and um, the point of that movie was this military guy was just up on a ridge, it's Hacksaw Ridge, and he's praying, Lord, just help me save one more. One more. And that's been our prayer every single week since then as a church. And I'm here to say that almost every single week since then, since we started praying that prayer, that we've seen one person come to know Jesus almost every week. And today on Baptism Sunday, in in light of that prayer, we are baptizing one person who has said yes to knowing and following Jesus and is not afraid to declare to the rest of the world that I am willing to follow him no matter the cost, no matter what it looks like, no matter what the optics are, no matter what it costs me. I am proclaiming to my family, to my friends, to my community, I follow Jesus. I have accepted the invitation to the banquet, and I am not ashamed who knows it. And we're going to celebrate that today. It doesn't make this individual more or less saved. It's a public declaration, not adding to salvation, but proclaiming the salvation. So this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know your story. I know we all have stories. I know life is tough for a lot of people right now. We live in a very broken, evil world. But there is a God who says, in the middle of the brokenness, in the middle of the evil, follow me, because it is worth it. But God, it's going to cost me. I never said it wouldn't. I just said it would be worth it. My prize is Jesus. Your prize is Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes really quickly?
We bow our heads out of respect to God. We close our eyes out of just respect to those around us. And if anybody's in this room this morning and they have not answered the invitation, the call to know and follow Jesus, eternity is at stake. And I don't want to manipulate, but I pray the gospel has become so clear to you that you understand what is at stake. Your eternity could be secure by just a simple yes. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if that's you this morning, and you want to know Jesus, you want to know that your eternity is secure, and I pray this message was clear that it's not just accepting this, but hopefully I painted a picture clear enough that you know what you're signing up for. You're not signing up naively. You know what you're signing up for. Would you just repeat this prayer after me? Say to Heavenly Father, Thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to know you. God, I hear the call. And I confess that I am a sinner. I have missed the mark of perfection. And I am in need of a Savior. And I confess that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, and is alive today. And I choose to follow him and make him king of my life. Thank you for this gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head still bowed, every eye still closed, nobody's looking around, just, just me. Just so we know how, how to pray for you as a public acknowledgement of your salvation. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or maybe meant it for the first time, would you just simply raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Well, amen. For the rest of us, let me say this prayer over you. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray over these individuals, these people who know and follow you. That God, this message wasn't supposed to feel like I'm spiritually, or that your word isn't beating people up, but it calls them to more that it doesn't settle for amateur. It doesn't settle for the imitation. It calls for authenticity. And authenticity, healthy, it's costly. And you ask us out of a response of obedience to the free gift of salvation you have given to us to pay it, to give it. Because the best life is not a life of imitation and unhealthiness. The best life is a life that's willing to pay, knowing it's what's good for us. So let us say yes. Let us say yes. Let us say yes. In Jesus' name.